Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. That's our super producer, Casey Pegram. That's our guest producer, Andrew Howard. Uh, they call me Ben, because that's my name. Uh, mm-hmm. Today's episode is about bar none, my favorite fruit. It's your favorite fruit. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to have to get into, uh, you know, your, your top five, I have to ask. Pineapple is, is the fruit in question today. Uh, long been considered a sign of uh, of affluence, you know, throughout history. Uh, I'm a big fan of pineapple too, but how do you like it? It seems like an awful lot to harvest a pineapple in its, you know, raw form. Yeah, so uh, there there are a number of ways you can prepare. Oh, you're Noel. That's me. <laughs> so there, there are a number of ways that I personally like uh, pineapple. I'll put it in smoothies. I'm a person who buys the whole pineapple and then does the cutting mm-hmm. and pouring thing. You know, um, I've made pineapple upside down cake before. I'm Ooh, not a yeah. big cake guy, but my mom loves it. Sure. Uh, what, what about you? Where does pineapple sit in your hierarchy of fruits? Oh, well, first, really quickly, I have to ask you, do you have a designated pineapple machete that you have to use for... <laughs> Cause it's, I mean, it's like a, it's like hacking into a coconut, man. And it's just got the spines and I mean, it's scary looking to me. How do you go about this? Yeah. I, uh, I use a, uh, I, I use a typical kitchen knife and you slice off the sides and then you can do a little twist top thing ah. with that stalk, which is okay. always fun. 
So maybe I'm making a little bit more out of it than it really is. Probably not as dangerous a fruit, perhaps, as I have have, uh, have envisioned or perhaps had nightmares about. And I'm not scared of pineapple, Ben. I don't want anyone to think that going in. I love pineapple. I guess I'm just more of a dull pineapple rings in the can kind of guy. But you're right. Fresh pineapple is absolutely delicious. Love a pineapple upside down cake. Very good in a smoothie. Love it uh, as a, a frozen yogurt topping. You know, Ooh. the little kind of mm-hmm. chunked up pineapples. You drop a little bit on that with some of that syrup, and it's absolutely chef's kiss. Um, pineapple for me is probably, I like strawberries the best. And then I would say pineapple is probably three. Second, I like, you know, mixed berries, like a like a blueberry, raspberry, uh, what blueberry type situation, you know, as far as mm-hmm. smoothies. But clearly, pineapple is much beloved by not only yourself, Ben, but uh, historical royals throughout you know, time immemorial. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about it, because if you live in uh, many places in the world, you can stroll to your local grocery store and get a pineapple for a, a pretty low price. But back in the day, the best way to see it is having a pineapple was much more like having a Rolex or mm-hmm. a Rolls Royce than mm-hmm. it was like having having ingredients for a smoothie or a yogurt topping. And that's something that baffled us. Um Pineapples were a symbol, and they're still a symbol today in certain cultures for certain things. But for about two and a half centuries, about 250 years, pineapples became a symbol of luxury, of opulence. If you really wanted to flex on someone, never mind your military insignia or your signet ring, just drop by, you know, go by the um, the next ballroom gathering with a pineapple mm-hmm. on your arm. Yeah. You know, maybe like attach some sort of chain to it so you can wear it around like a handbag. Um, it, it's definitely an accessory in that respect, right? It's like, hey, look at me. I have a pineapple. Sort of the way people maybe flex their Teslas or something these days. But the history of the pineapple is a really fascinating one. Christopher Columbus brought you know, in the same way he quote unquote discovered America, right? Okay, mm-hmm. let's not hot take Christopher Columbus here. We're not here for that. But, you know, he wasn't really looking for America. He just kind of stumbled upon it, which I guess counts as discovery. But he also sort of stumbled upon the pineapple um, in that it was something that was uh, available exclusively in South America. It wasn't something you'd find in Europe. Um, so he, during his, you know, numerous voyages to the New World, brought them back to Spain, and it became very, very popular um, because uh, there's some descriptions of the flavor we're going to get into that Mm -hmm. I find not only a little kind of cringy, but it just kind of shows where people's heads were as far as these things and and flavor profiles in general at the time. But also, you know, they were beautiful kind of, right? They're very arresting-looking fruits. Like I said, for me, I maybe interpreted that as sort of like, uh, like danger, but yeah, it definitely is like something that, you know, has a, a designy quality to it. It's got a certain symmetry and a kind of like this, you know, scaly uh, skin and then the, like the way the top kind of bunches up into these, you know, weird little sprigs and people were taken with it visually and it became the subject of a lot of paintings and still life. People were incorporating it into design features and carving into wooden furniture. And like you said, Ben, it even became like an insignia for some houses, you know, or families uh, of, of great opulence and also a sign of hospitality that you might see even today in some older, you know, manor-esque hotels. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. No, I 
we do want to start from the offset, uh, saying that this will end up being more than one episode, at least our exploration mm-hmm. of the pineapple. We consider this fruit unique because it is, it's the only edible bromeliad, right? Like, I don't think you should give yourself a tough time about feeling like maybe the pineapple is a little bit intimidating because the pineapple is the only food known to contain something called bromelian. You know how they say like citric acid can have an effect on you, on your mouth if you eat too much? Right. Pineapple does have citric acid, but it also has this enzyme that literally digests protein. So it can hurt to eat this because that enzyme, when you're eating pineapple, is digesting the inside skin of your mouth. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I've never thought about that. Is this something that maybe certain people might be more susceptible to or more sensitive to? I've never noticed that. Well, you know, I wonder, too, if this is something... Maybe there's a pineapple allergy, but I'm wondering also if maybe it's a it's a thing where you have to be moderate in your enjoyment of pineapple. Sure, sure. Maybe there's a cumulative effect. Totally. It's sort of like when you when you say that sweet and low gives you cancer, it's like, well, maybe it gave some rats cancer when they fed it to them nonstop for like weeks on end. Right, exactly. Not but, to say that uh, you shouldn't be wary of your sweetener choices. I'm just saying it's a, uh, you know, it's it's all about moderation and context. Yes. Yes, for the humans in the audience, uh, for for any rats in the audience, completely different situation. But everybody be careful. (laughs) So so the thing is, we we talked about how pineapples are relatively inexpensive now. So the average cost for a pound of pineapple in the U.S. is usually going to be around $2.75, which is not bad. But... In the time period we're talking about today, ridiculous historians, a single pineapple costs the equivalent of $8,000. And I've never, I don't know about you, man, but have you ever seen those? There are these fruits in Japan, various types, that are enormously expensive, including like melons that are purposely grown in sort of a rounded square shape. Mm-hmm. And and they look good. I mean, I don't, I don't object to melons, but I certainly don't want to spend hundreds of dollars on on fruit. So to me, it's mind-boggling that someone would spend $8,000. But as you'll see, they were not really buying the fruit itself. They were buying the idea that it represented, the idea of being uh, expensive and elite. I, I would argue pineapple might be like the NFT of of this era, you know? It's <laughs> like they're, they're buying the concept of like ownership that they can like flaunt and say, this is mine and uh, only I can eat it and you can't have any. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's not a bad comparison. I, this is the thing. If you travel to an older hotel or even a newer one, you next time you do because I know we all want to start traveling again. Next time you travel and you find yourself at a hotel, look around the lobby, look around your room, and you might just find a picture of a pineapple mm-hmm. somewhere nearby. Why is that, Noel? Yeah, I, I mentioned at the top of the show the idea of, uh, especially in like kind of more 
classic, you know, manor style hotels, you might see this being more prevalent because it would be literally a holdover from, you know, when it was originally a very popular insignia of hospitality before it even became a symbol of this great wealth or whatever. But you're right, Ben. I mean, it's almost like one of those things where even newer hotels will will kind of sneak it in almost as a nod to the history of, you know, the hospitality industry, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a complicated symbol. The more we unpack it, uh, we know that the pineapple, as you said, Noel, has functioned originally in the West as a kind of symbol of hospitality instead of royalty, but it also has a lot of... Uh, it's got a lot of dark stuff wrapped up in that symbolism, too. Mm-hmm. Centuries of pillaging and colonization. It's also a newcomer, relatively speaking, to the European sphere. Up until, what, the 15th century or so, pineapples were unknown. People, of course, in South America enjoyed the pineapple. It was a very familiar fruit. Uh, if you went to Brazil at this time, you would have seen it and people would have known about it for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it wasn't until Cristobal Cologne, this is one of those facts you learn about him in school that was actually true. It wasn't until Cristobal Cologne, Christopher Columbus, came face to face with this fruit in 1493 when he and his crew discovered a Caribbean village that consumed pineapple. So unlike North America, this is something that he actually did discover for Europeans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I get, we give we give old Christopher Columbus a bit of a hard time, you know, probably because of the light genocide stuff. But we've discussed all this. I think this is all pretty well established. There's also a great episode of The Sopranos. I'm sorry, I keep harping on The Sopranos on all of our shows lately because I just recently wrapped my biannual rewatch. But there's one particular episode called Christopher uh, that was actually written by Michael Imperioli, who plays the character Christopher on the show. But it's Mm. about the Christopher Columbus parade in New Jersey and the kind of a a turf war that develops between the Italian-American population in Jersey and the Native American population, who obviously think Christopher Columbus is a monster. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they literally have, like, a clash in the streets and, like, the Native American uh, contingent are burning effigies of him and stuff, and it ends up like a a slushy gets thrown at somebody and, 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 you know, just all hell breaks loose. Yeah, and that's that's based on a real thing. There was a segment of the Italian-American population who felt that Christopher Columbus was a very important part of their mm-hmm. cultural history and right. was being unfairly maligned. That's exactly right, and that's what the episode goes into. It's, it's a lot about identity, politics, and things. It's, it's a little ham-fist. It doesn't hold up quite uh, as, as well as one might hope, but it's definitely an interesting time capsule. And I forget the guy's name, but we've talked about this in other episodes of Ridiculous History, and forgive the sidebar, but the gentleman who plays the single-tier crying Native American figure right. in the famous recycling, you know, campaign, which was essentially started by the, the big image. corporations to convince, you know, regular consumers that pollution was their fault. Uh, that guy's not even Native American. He's actually Italian. Um, and that comes up in the episode where they're trying to, like, blackmail the Native American group by saying, we're going to we're gonna blow the lid off this. We're going to ch- tell everybody that your guy isn't actually Native American at all. He's Italian like us. Uh, but it turns out that everyone pretty much already knows that. But you're right, Ben. Let's just give him credit where credit is due. He did, you know, essentially stumble across the pineapple. But isn't it a situation where it was like, 
they were offered either like a dish containing human flesh or a pineapple, and they chose the pineapple. Is that a myth? It seems myth-like. Yeah. Well, it's it's um, let's say it's an historical legend because there's not documentation proving that. But yeah, the the story goes that the crew was offered uh, two choices: they could have pineapple or they could have a stew, and the stew contained human body parts, so they went for the pineapple, probably with a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little bit of hesitation. But then, as they had a bite of this delicious fruit. They said, this is amazing. And they stocked up on pineapples and brought them back, as you said, uh, to Spain, where it spread uh, throughout the aristocratic classes. And this is where the idea of pineapples becoming synonymous with or symbolic of hospitality comes from. It comes from those trips to the Caribbean. According to the World Encyclopedia of Food, travelers would go to these islands and they would discover that. If someone in the native community had a pineapple hanging by the door, they that meant that they would welcome strangers. This was a house that was okay to visit. And, uh, you know, they talked about this, played the game of telephone on these trips back and mm-hmm. forth. So by the time they finally get off the ship on the return trip to Europe, they have cemented in their minds the idea that a pineapple is a sort of a high-class symbol of hospitality. And royalty loved this, by the way. Yeah, and even, it goes even further. During colonial uh, times, sea captains would mark their um, return home by spearing a pineapple on a fence post. Uh, and, and it kind of gave a sign to the friends and family of the captain that he was home safe and were prepared to receive visitors. Right, right. And this explains something that I had always had a question about. I remember um, in many places where I've traveled, I would be walking up to a a building and there would be these pillars or columns that had, to my mind, inexplicably had pineapples carved somewhere on the pillar or somewhere at the top of the column. And this is like a well-known addition to entrances, at least in the world of architecture. Mm. So it literally made a mark in stone upon numerous cultures throughout the world. Let's talk about pineapple mania. I think it's, I don't think it's hyperbole to call it that. So Christopher Columbus, he comes back from his second voyage to the Americas in 1496, and he's brought along a bunch of cool stuff. He's got pumpkins, He's got tobacco, he's got tomatoes, he's got a couple really chill parrots, but most importantly, he has pineapples. And I don't think he had any idea how popular these would become. Right, he just had them kind of tossed in there with all the other stuff. Parrots are never chill, though, Ben, by the way. Parrots are always aggressive, and they stare deeply into your soul, and they see you. They see the darkness inside of you, and they want to, to come at you. I, uh, feel like, I, I feel like it depends on the parrot. I've known some, just like people, I've known some wonderful parrots and some just monsters. Staring into the abyss, my friend. The abyss stares back. <laughs> Sorry, I have, I'm triggered by parrots. Um, but yeah, the pineapples were a huge deal. So the king of Spain, uh, Ferdinand II, ended up being kind of the standard bearer for this first wave of pineapple 
craze, right? We talked about the hospitality stuff. That was to come a little bit later. Um, this is the very first time anyone has seen a pineapple. And we're not joking when we say a pineapple because all of those other pineapples uh, did not survive the voyage. They apparently got wet and rotted and dissolved into a disgusting, sticky morass, you know, in the cargo hold. But one prized, pristine, I kind of doubt it was entirely pristine, but comparatively edible. edible pineapple made its way into the hands of this king. And he absolutely loved it. He, he freaked <laughs> out. There's an account of his, his tasting by Peter Martyr, who is a tutor to the Spanish princes. So presumably someone he'd known since he was a young prince and he kept in his confidences or whatever. Uh, this is what he had to say. You know, reporting on the report that Ferdinand gave of this very first tasting of the pineapple. And I don't know, mileage may vary, but I found this a little odd. The most invincible King Ferdinand relates that he has eaten another fruit brought from those countries. It is like a pine nut in form and color, covered with scales and firmer than a melon. Its flavor excels all other fruits. Hard agree. Yeah, no, actually, you know what? This isn't the. This is not the account that made me squirm. That's that's going to come a little later. This one is yeah. absolutely fine. Yeah, but it helps. Uh, it helps address something that we'll we'll also examine in this episode. Of course, a pineapple is neither a pine nor an apple. As you said, it's the only edible type of bromeliad, which is why it kind of eats you as you eat it, <laughs> which is cool to think about. But yeah, so this. Also, sidebar, for the record, I have to say in my top five, I would also include cherries. Mm -hmm. And I think I know the reason why. You guys remember those uh, little fruit cups you would get growing oh, yeah. up? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they had they had their own kind of hierarchy of fruit, right? There would be a lot of like melon or cantaloupe in there, and you would get maybe like one or two pieces of cherries, right? A couple pieces of pineapple. So I think I like them because of their scarcity. Their scarcity, but we're talking maraschino cherries here, right? Ben, not like black cherries or like you know proper red cherries, right? But I like the I like those too. Yeah, I don't want big cherry to feel like we're playing them to the left. But you you are right. There's one we must assume at least semi edible pineapple. The king is ecstatic about it, and. Everyone hears about it because I'm sure for a few weeks, it's like one of the main things he talked about. You know what I'm I sure. mean? <laughs> He's like, all right, we'll send the tomatoes to my least favorite members of court. <laughs> so uh, one other thing they really liked about the pineapple in Europe was its form. They loved that the fruit was spiky. Keep in mind, you know, they would have lost their minds over dragon fruit and lychee and stuff like that, I'm sure. But uh Ferdinand has this envoy to Panama. His name is Gonzalo Fernandez de Oviedo y Valdez. And this guy wrote, I do not suppose that there is in the whole world any other of so exquisite and lovely appearances. My pen and my words cannot depict such exceptional qualities, nor appropriately blazon this fruit so as to particularize the case fully and satisfactorily without the brush or the sketch. So this guy is like so effusive about the pineapple that it, it takes him to some sort of meditative joy beyond words. I, I feel like maybe that's exaggerating a little. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the uh, condition known as Stendhal syndrome, 
where you're like overcome emotionally and sometimes sexually by uh, beautiful art in a gallery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This just seems to me like if there's a name for that that you could apply to fruit, that is what this dude is going through right here. I mean, literally, I feel like he was about to, you know, f- go into some sort of ecstatic fugue state. Right. Well, you know, we don't we don't know because we just have the letter and he, all. He t- so maybe he put down the pen and spent some mental time with the idea of the pineapple because uh, he may not have been able to. Well, he would have had one because he's in Panama. Mm-hmm. So another thing about pineapple. I hope that pineapple's okay. <laughs> another thing about pineapple uh, that is really attractive to the Europeans is that it is so incredibly sweet. We mm-hmm. have to remember that they didn't have access, like the vast majority of the population didn't have access to cane sugar. The idea of common sweets wasn't really a thing in Renaissance Europe for, for most people. And if you like, if you thought, if you're saying, well, they have fruits and fruits are sweet, keep in mind those were seasonal, right? Mm-hmm. So there were times mm-hmm. of the year where you, you couldn't have something sweet. And the pineapple, like, it's almost like, I was thinking of a comparison. So there's this really great moment. This is not a big spoiler. In Stephen King's The Dark Tower novels, where for the first time, Roland, the gunslinger, who is the, uh, who is the protagonist of the series, for the first time ever in a book called The Drawing of the Three, he tastes soda. And he loses his mind Mm -hmm. because it is so sweet and he can't do anything but have that as you said kind of stendhal syndrome uh, experience and that's what happened to a lot of europeans it may have literally been the sweetest tastiest thing they'd ever encountered well sure and if your you know taste buds are, are trained to eat like bland food or you know i mean even like seasoning was sort of like hard to come by for some people right uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, I don't want to overgeneralize here, but definitely something to the degree of sweetness that a pineapple achieves. Um, and also sugar being really hard to come by, like you said, it would have been uh, absolutely mind-blowing in, in in the literal sense, like that, you know, your your mechanics, uh, your your equipment, let's just say, you know, have never experienced anything like this before. And so you're just like absolutely bowled over. And I, I want to go back to one thing and ask your, your opinion about this, Ben. One of the, the first description we read, uh, which was by the Spanish Prince Tudor guy, mentioned that it, it was like a pine nut. And I actually made some homemade pesto the other night, and I really enjoy the taste of pine nuts. I was snacking on a few of them before I made the pesto. It, is, it has a very earthy taste, but I've never really thought of a pineapple having a particularly nutty taste. Uh, but I just wondered if that was something that you connected with or if, if you think uh, old boy's off base. Well, uh, you know, there are I was looking into this, too, uh, because for us, for many of us in the modern day, you know, you've had pine nuts before. You've had pineapple. Aside from the phrase pine, there's it doesn't seem like there's a ton to compare them with. But uh, there are a lot of recipes that use pineapple and pine nuts together to great effect, like sautéed pineapple with honey and pine nuts. Oh, my God. Uh, you can make – I haven't made this yet, but you can make a pineapple and pine nut tort. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing that now. As I Googled it, I was seeing if there was some long-lost connection, but I don't think that's the case, but it does seem as though the flavors are complementary. There's a, a pineapple uh, and pine nut pie – there's all kinds of nice looking stuff. That's a really interesting idea. I might give that a try. Yeah. Okay, right on. That's really cool. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's another thing, though. So we know that we know that other, other types of produce followed a similar path. You know what I mean? In that something from what we call the Americas today, made it across the Atlantic and amazed and fundamentally changed the cuisine of some European countries, right? Like the potato in Ireland mm -hmm. or the tomato in Italy. That's right. The pineapple became this breakout Beatles-level star of, of this agricultural era, but it didn't do it alone. If pineapple... Is the worst comparison I'll make today. If pineapple is like the um, the John Lennon of this craze, then there's another thing that's kind of like the George Harrison, and that's another trend that was occurring at the same time that made pineapple even more successful: the widespread dissemination of the written word. And the Paris Review has an excellent piece on this called "The Strange History of the King Pine." Books had been around since, uh, you know, at least the mid-1400s in this area of the world. But in the 16th century, we saw an estimated 130 million 
new books flooding Western Europe. And people in this age of uh, seafaring exploration were also more literate. So you would see, of course, scholars and monks and, you know, the historical versions of nerds like us writing about stuff. But you would also see sailors saying, let me tell you about these shores I've seen undreamt of beyond the horizon, the civilizations, the flora, the fauna. Let me amaze you. Mm-hmm. And this kind of genre of story became popular. Everybody was reading this stuff. And when they were reading that, they were often reading about pineapple too. Uh, we have so many effusive descriptions. I feel like we can throw them around. They, <laughs> it's funny because they get a little crazy. I say this as a huge fan of pineapple. But for me, some of these descriptions are still things that make me say, okay, hold on, Jean Delery, uh, pump your brakes a little when you're saying there is no nobler fruit in the universe. It's a little hyperbolic, not going to lie. And here, John Parkinson, who was royal botanist to Charles I, he's the one who had my kind of most cringe-inducing a description. He wrote this down in a tome called the Theatrum Botanicum, um, which sounds very, uh, very official. And he, he referred to the pineapple as being scaly like an artichoke, but so sweet in smell, tasting as if wine, rose water, and sugar were mixed together. Uh, and I don't, I don't know why is. Do you feel me on that? Yeah, I feel a little, you, man. A little cringe. I don't know why. It's something about the wine, sugar, and mm. rose water, and just the word smell being in there, and Ooh. also artichoke and scaly. I don't know why. Like, those combination of those things put me on edge. I feel you, man. I mean, the one that got me was uh, Charles Lamb, who gets a little not safe for work, but this is a family show. We can read this part. Here's how he describes the pineapple. Pleasure bordering on pain Ah. from the fierceness and insanity of a relish. Like a lover's kiss, she biteth. She biteth. She biteth. biteth. (laughs) Which scientifically, it is kind of true because that enzyme is partially digesting your flesh when you eat it. But he didn't (sighs) know that. He was just getting real weird with it. Yeah, man. There's some people getting real wound up over the pineapple here. And And again, family show, quick. Content warning, I'm not going to be explicit about it, but it is a thing you hear that supposedly pineapple makes certain things taste better. Uh, yeah, and then while we're, while we're PG-13 a little bit, uh, pineapple, the symbol of the pineapple has come to mean uh, certain things about relationships for mm-hmm. certain parts of the West, certain uh, non-conventional relationships. But... Uh, <laughs> But be that as it may, I think we've made our case that yes. people loved, loved, loved pineapple with like no criticism whatsoever. So now we get to the turn where we have to ask ourselves, how did they become just so closely associated with prestige and luxury? How did they become the Rolex or the Rolls Royce of produce? Well, it's true that they weren't the only they were far from the only new kind of plant life being brought to Europe. Mm-hmm. But we we get a pretty interesting take from Dr. Lauren O'Hagan at Cardiff University School of English Communication and Philosophy. And Dr. O'Hagan points out that the pineapple 
came into uh, European culture as sort of a tabula rasa. You know, it didn't have any of the associations of other related fruits that had existed for centuries untold in Europe. So that's that's part of why uh, it had that strange name. Because they were like, uh, I don't know, is it a, is it an apple or is it like, a, let's just call it an apple. The apple thing is purposeful too. There's a little bit of marketing there because if you're a Western European at this time, Noel, what do you most immediately associate an apple with? Oh yeah, like you know Lucifer and whatnot, and <laughs> and, and the fall of man and and all that, you know, and woman. The whole story's got all kinds of issues. Um, but yeah, the forbidden fruit, eating of the forbidden tree, lured by the forked tongue of of Satan. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is that. For anybody who remembers the sketch show, The State, they have a great sketch where it's a bunch of uh, very loud caricatures of Italian-American people saying, oh, it's not in the Bible. Penguins. Penguins ain't in the Bible. You can't go watch the penguins at the zoo. The pineapple was in a weirdly similar position because it wasn't mentioned in any other documents these folks would have been aware of. It wasn't in the Bible. It wasn't in the works of the Greeks and the Romans. So because it was a completely blank page, the people who had access to this fruit, the ruling class, could put their own meaning upon this. And Fran Bowman writes about this beautifully in her book, The Pineapple. I don't know about anybody else, but my book collection is filled with uh, reference works on very specific things. I love them, man. I have a book that's entirely about salt. It's amazing. Same guy wrote a book about cod. I got to get this pineapple book. The cod, okay, cod, I, no, you, you lost me at cod. I, although I'm sure it's a fascinating history of the cod, but salt, again, it's like the spice in Dune, you know? I mean, there's like so much that goes into salt and resource extraction and like warring over like this thing that is ultimately just to make our food taste a little, uh, pop a little bit more, you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's other uses for salt, but sure. it's, it's, it's weird. It is kind of one of those things where it's like, it is at the end of the day, probably most useful as a uh, food additive, not for any health reasons. It's actually bad for you. It just makes things taste a little better. It's a flavor enhancer, I guess. God, Ben, you, yeah, but no, you're right. The pineapple book, obviously, I mean, we're, we're getting two episodes out of this. Uh, we're already almost 40 minutes in on part one. So there is definitely a quite fraught uh, relationship that we as a species have with the pineapple. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Marketing comes in here. No, I'm telling you, you got to check out this book, Salt, Mark Kolansky. I, I got a copy. I'll leave, I'll, I'll leave it in the office for you. Uh, so, just want other people to read these weird reference books. All right, so pineapple. Yeah, you're right. Marketing. There's an opportunity here for the ruling class because we have to remember the monarchs at this time were absolutist. Their word was pretty much the same as like the word of God on earth. So they decided to kind of shape the image of the pineapple for their own purposes. Uh, there was a French priest named Father Duterte who was probably the first to bless pineapple as the, quote, king of fruits. And by the mid-1600s, this was a really well-known popular image. And we're going to give you a quote here, and then we're going to explain 
something that might be might be a little confusing, especially to English speakers. A French physician named Pierre Pomey talks about the pineapple this way. He says, it was thought a just appellation to call the ananas the king of fruits because it is much the finest and best of all that are upon the face of the earth. It is for this reason that the king of kings has placed a crown upon the head of it. Well, it already kind of has a crown. I mean, it looks, oh, the about. king of kings. He's talking about God. God crowned the ananas, which, by the way, that, you know, banana yes. is hard enough. Ananas, no one's going to say that out loud. It also sounds a whole lot like anus. Um, but yeah, it's that's perfect. It's crowned. It has a crown. Right. Obviously, uh, it's the best. Yeah, I think ananas is a fun word to say, but you're right, Noel. It's it can be a little uh, dangerous pronunciation wise. Uh, if you are an English speaker who's not acquainted with this story, you might be a little confused. You might be saying, well, "What the heck is ananas? Do you mean bananas?" Smart guys, uh, no. Oh, ananas is actually the much more common phrase or word for this fruit. If you are speaking Arabic, German, Dutch, French, Greek, Hebrew, Hindi, Swedish, Turkish, Esperanto, you're probably going to use the phrase ananas for pineapple. And that's that's so weird. Like, why did we as English speakers call it pineapple instead of just going with ananas like pretty much everybody else? Okay, I, I, I don't know how, why this didn't occur to me and I had the whole pine nut thing. It looks like a pine cone. A pineapple looks like a pine cone. Uh, it does. That's a very good call. Yes, it does. Um, and I think that might have been why on his uh, expedition to Guadalupe in 1493, Columbus and his crew referred to them as Pina de Indies, which literally translates to pine of the Indians because it looked like a well, it's it says in the the source that we found um, looked like a pine tree. It looks like a pine cone of a mm. pine tree, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the The plant itself doesn't look like a pine tree, but the pineapple looks kind of like an enormous pine cone. Uh, so, because Columbus was on a Spanish mission, the Spanish language still used the shortened form of this. So they just said pinas which is another kind of dangerous pronunciation <laughs> word. Uh, so, they, uh, hey, What do you want, peanuts or ananas? <laughs> yes, uh, right? It's, it's entirely up to you. But the reason so many other languages use ananas uh, is because they're taking the name given to the fruit by the indigenous Tupi people of South America. Ananas in that language means excellent fruit. Mm -hmm. which is also great marketing. Uh, there are, of course, there are a few other languages that use some derivative of pineapple, but only when they've imported it from English. So I believe Japanese is like pineapple or pineapple. Uh, we're not Japanese speakers and the Welsh have something derived from that as well. But uh, yeah, excellent fruit or pineapple. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker 
retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Do we know when people first started calling it pineapple in English? Well, Ben, the thing is, the word pineapple is actually already very commonly used in the English language before people started referring to the fruit as, as that. It was first used in 1398, uh, and it was used to describe, ding, 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 what we now call pine cones. The term pine cones itself wasn't actually used in that way until 1694. Yeah, so they took something that was already working and just said, okay. They, they essentially said, okay, that's a pine cone too. You can just eat this one mm -hmm. a little bit uh, more easily. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because in some conversations with our pal Gabe, uh, we were trying to figure out why the English language just stuck with pineapple. As, as you said, Noel, the word was already extant, you know, in the English language. But the ultimate reason might be a little bit of a superiority complex. English speakers might just think their own language was better than other languages, which is not really based on facts so much as it is opinion. But that's why Ananas is so, uh, can be so confusing. Ananas and pineapple are very much the same thing. And if we go back to the symbolic representation, aside from the question of what's in a name, I love, I love, love, love the idea that someone thought God itself had purposely made a crown <laughs> on this pineapple to let everybody know it's the king of fruits. And this was actually as innocuous and funny as it seems. This did something that was a little bit of uh, clever, dangerous propaganda because 
the idea that anything with a crown had been appointed by heaven, whether it's a fruit or a person, became an argument for the divine right <laughs> of kings. Also, you know, probably is easier to like get behind a pineapple than some sort of despot. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I love the way this pineapple tastes. This is making my life better. The fact that it's so sweet and delicious and, and fragrant. Um, and it's also crown. Okay, I guess if uh, the pineapples, okay, I'll, I'll apply that same respect to this king if I must. If the pineapple's on board, then mm-hmm. who are we to oppose? Yeah, exactly. This is where we get to, you know, the obvious next step. Uh, because monarchists, though they may have been the ruling parties of several European countries, were very much, uh, in a weird way, they were very much on board with Karl Marx's idea of owning the means of production. They said, why are we shipping all these things here? Let's try to grow them. They did not meet with success. As you know, pineapples need a tropical climate to thrive. So Europeans, despite their efforts, uh, they were unable to grow pineapples at home. That's right. And um, a lot of this stuff we're going to, I think, I think we're in a really good place to, to transition to part two. A lot of this stuff of the, the, uh, the kind of long game of the pineapple in Europe and its, its proliferation to the rest of the, of the world um, is, uh, is, is covered in that episode in addition to some really interesting politics uh, around the pineapple and some weird historical flexes uh, around the pineapple as well. But yeah, you're exactly right, Ben. Very, very difficult to cultivate. That's why it was so rare and uh, and precious because you had to get them from the source, and you know it was not uh, easy. They didn't have like sh- giant shipping containers and refrigeration, and uh, it was a very arduous uh, voyage. And like we said from the first one, only one survived. So I'm sure the 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 demand far outweighed the supply. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Everybody, go enjoy a pineapple and be sure to tune in for part two where we will examine what happened when Europeans finally kind of got the hang of cultivating pineapples. It doesn't go the way you might expect. Uh, Noel, we had talked about this off air and we both decided what better way to end today's episode by sharing with you one of our favorite One of our favorite first impressions of a pineapple. This comes from a new voyage and description of the Isthmus of America by Lionel Wafer in 1699. Lionel Wafer, by the way, sounds like a a toast of London name. If you don't know what I mean by that, please instantly. I know you do, Ben, but anyone listening, uh, if you haven't seen Toast of London, it's great. Lionel Wafer is perfectly a toast of London name. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. But to me, this borders on pineapple poetry, Ben. And, And I would ask, uh, ridiculous historians, send us your pineapple poems. Uh, post them on the on the Facebook group, Ridiculous Historians. But Ben, uh, would you like to lead us off in this pineapple poetry reading? Yeah, let's let's divide and conquer the same way you would cut up a pineapple. On the Ismith grows that delicious fruit which we call the pineapple, in shape not much unlike an artichoke. As big as a man's head, it grows like a crown on the top of a stalk, about as big as one's arm, and a foot and a half high. The fruit is ordinarily about six pound weight and is enclosed with short prickly leaves like an artichoke. They do not strip, but pare off these leaves to get at the fruit. 
which hath no stone or kernel in it, tis very juicy. Mm. And some fancy it resemble the taste of all the most delicious fruits one can imagine mixed together. It ripens at all times of year and is raised from new plants. I like the idea of, uh, I, I like the idea of pineapple poetry and I agree. I would love to hear yours. Uh, also, if you want to, if you want to get into the, uh, musical artistic side of it, please check out Pineapple Princess by Annette Funicello. Uh, it's, it's jam. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, <laughs> and pineapple jam is great too. Oh man, I am fiending for pineapple now. So I say, uh, we call it a day with huge, huge thanks to our super producer, Casey Pegram, our guest producer, Andrew Howard who we've got to have on the show sometime. Maybe an oh. episode on Maine? Yes, Maine. Uh, that, that is where he hails from, and I think uh, we, we definitely should do that. Uh, huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this theme. Christopher Hasiotis, here in spirit, soon to be here in the flesh, or in the, you know, the Zoom. Um, and Jonathan Strickland, the quister. I got nothing bad to say about him today. I'm interested to hear his opinion on pineapple. Uh, thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch, so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.